Hello, my name is Philip Camella, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. Now if you're wondering what it means to go beyond science and religion, we're going to find out on this show because we're going to go beyond science and religion as we know them, both theoretically and spatially. There's a relationship, I think, between open-mindedness and going outside the box. If you don't open your mind to new ideas, you will never learn any. And one of the things I sometimes do on this show and elsewhere is that rather than simply dismiss claim phenomena, such as out-of-body experiences, imagine that, they are, that they're true, that it's real, and then try to explain them. And in fact, isn't that what science is all about? Isn't science about observing phenomena and then developing a theory to explain them within a broader framework? And of course, one thing we know from our current scientific worldview, which is based upon materialism, and which I talk about in my own book, The Collapse of Materialism, is that we're in a mode right now with science where if something does not fit their model, they tend to reject it as being untrue, and they might even rise to the level of ridiculing those who believe in these out-of-box phenomena. But what we're going to do today is we're going to apply this principle, which is that we are going to talk about something that's out of the box to many people, and we're going to talk about how it can be true. And that means today we're going to be talking with a leading researcher on UFOs who has made a fascinating connection. Uh, based upon the work of Dr. George King between spirituality and extraterrestrials. This does sound different, and that's what this show is about. So we're going to have what I hope to be a fascinating conversation. And before I introduce Dr. Richard Lawrence, I'd like to also remind the listeners that they're always able to contact me at philipcamella, C-O-M-E-L-L-A, at gmail.com with comments, recommendations for guests, etc. And in fact, uh, I found out about Richard Lawrence through a guest, and i like to thank him uh, for this recommendation. I really enjoyed uh, reading Richard's book. Now, Richard Lawrence is a world-renowned UFO expert and spiritual teacher. He was among the first to bring declassified CIA and Pentagon UFO files to Britain in 1979. He's the executive director of the Aetherius Society in Europe and is one of the most respected names in the body, mind, and spirit movement, appearing frequently on TV and radio. And in fact, there's a brand new uh, video spot of him on the Huffington Post, which I will um, link with the show when I post it. He's a workshop leader and speaker. He's lectured in the U.S., New Zealand, Australia, Africa, and Europe. His books include Prayer Energy, Unlocking Your, Unlock Your Psychic Powers, The Award-Winning Gods, Guides, and Guardian. He was a disciple of Dr. George King, who we'll be 
talking a little bit about, who he co-authored, and he co-authored a book with Dr. King called Gods from Space and Realize Your Inner, Your Inner Potential. His new book, uh, which we're going to be mentioning here and talking about a little bit, is called UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, A Spiritual Insight into UFOs and Cosmic Transmission. Without further ado, Richard Lawrence, thank you very much for being with us all the way from the UK today. Thank you very much for inviting me, Philip. And again, the purpose of this show in general, and this particular one, is to really open minds to new ideas and to make connections between different ideas and theories that are floating out there. And I think you do that, and you've done that throughout your career in making the connection between what, what are commonly called UFOs uh, and spirituality. But before we get into this a little bit, uh, what got you interested in this topic? Uh, I actually, the very first thing that um, I came across was um, what I would call dynamic prayer. Um, I, I was attending, I was at university, I was attending uh, a, a, an organization there called the Buddhist and Vedanta Society. I'd, I'd uh, without getting long and boring, I'd already been down the, what I would call the, you know, the Christian tradition route. Um, I was at a school which was very closely connected to the Church of England. I was confirmed by the Archbishop of Canterbury, who's sort of the leading figure in the Church of England. And I, I don't say this in any way to disparage any faith at all, because, as you'll have seen in the book, you know, we are very open-minded. We are not one and only way but for me it was not enough I had wanted to, as a, when I was younger to be a priest in that church and I knew I couldn't do that I was seeking more and I turned to Eastern religion and I went to a, a meeting and uh, somebody was speaking there about dynamic prayer which they'd learned from Dr. George King who was uh, before he was ever contacted by beings from other planets a very advanced and extremely proficient, I would say unique in this country, master of yoga. And I tried that practice that very night and had extraordinary experiences. And that's the sort of thing I would first highlight um, in this discussion is, is the, the, the factor of spiritual experience and the reality of it, not just intellectual examination although that's important too, of course. And so as a result of those experiences, which I couldn't deny, I um, sought out the source of that, which was Dr. King, and I discovered the Ethereum Society, and then I discovered it was linked to UFOs and the cosmic message. And it wasn't too long after that that I had a major UFO sighting up there at the University in North of England in a place called Hull, and it really went from there. Later on, I met Dr. King, became a student of his, worked with him, and got to know him and eventually became a, a very close friend as well as a disciple. You know, one of the fascinating things here is that when you compare, let's say, the, the revelatory experiences of Dr. George King with those of leading religious figures, they do sort of fall within a common motif or theme mm -hmm. because when we read about um, the inspirations of the authors of the Bible, for example, Moses, 
uh, his revelations and Jacob and Adam and Eve and then we move in and then of course you move into the New Testament in Jesus Christ you know we, we see these people talking to God or what is presented as God and in some ways we accept that as being part of history or part of spiritual history some people do it struck me when I was reading about Dr. George King that that it's a similar revelation or some or similar channeling but it's with what what you're calling extraterrestrials am, am i is is this is this how, is this the way you look at things is it, do you see a commonality yes. between us yeah. yes for me the whole extraterrestrial equation if you like absolutely completed the picture um and, and you're absolutely right i mean moses is a good example he you know went into the mountains or mount sinai at least and heard a great proclamation from the voice of the lord and that very similar type of experience happened to Dr. King on mountains as well. Um, in the case of Dr. King, he was a medium, so he was able to do what is now called channeling, and the type of channeling that he did is uh, very removed from a lot of the claims that are out there now. Uh, I must say, he was highly trained. That's where his yoga training is key, really, to his abilities to do that. Uh, so he took it to a very refined stage, really, where, of course, in the, in the times of Moses and Jesus, and indeed St. Paul, who heard the voice of Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus, and so on and so on, and you find the same traditions in the East as well. Um, you know, in the, in the case of uh, Dr. King, he was able to channel it, and of course we have tape recorders, and they could be recorded, and it, it can be then transcribed. So what you have with his communications and the teachings given through him by the great extraterrestrial beings, what I call perhaps the gods from space or the cosmic masters, you have accuracy. And that you don't get, unfortunately, with the Bible, which isn't to completely denigrate the Bible, by the way, but it has been through many translations, opinions, and even in some cases deliberate, I believe, alterations. Well, with all the technology we have now, with everybody essentially carrying around a digital camera and with the media 24-7, we're not going to let any unusual thing pass us by. We have mm. videos of everything now, and, yeah. and, a, and, and that, is, that is a good thing for disbelievers because when there is a transformation— of consciousness, which we'll get into a little bit, when there is a uh, a, a true opening of the mind and a and a broadening of our spirit and a universal level, it w it's going to be on TV. <laughs> it's going to be okay. because because it's it's got to because the fact of the matter is is that when more and more people experience this stuff, um, it's going to be more obvious out in the open. One of the things that, again, a connection I made when I was reading your book, I've had a number of mediums on this show, and, right. and there, there was a similarity that I was reading uh, through and, and about uh, Dr. King and, even, and, and you. For example, the Ascended Masters, which are, which are famous from theosophy, uh, mm -hmm. and all sorts of uh, spiritual beings of different names, different groups, and it's it struck me again that that there is a that there's an overlap here. Do you view 
the let's call them the ascended masters which is a common um sort of source of spiritual energy as i mentioned in theosophy mm-hmm. and and the extraterrestrials as as these being two distinct sort of sources of of inspiration or do you view them being sort of the same thing I find that to be a fascinating question, Philip. I, I must say, I'd love to be asked that kind of question more on radio interviews. Um, <laughs> well, that, uh, we're just <laughs> getting started. We're other... just getting started. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, there is an overlap. There, I mean, I would go further than, than the Ascended Masters, and I would say there is an overlap on the concept of inhabited planets in other solar systems, and even this one. Uh, for example, the ancient Hindu script, scripts, I mean, are quite explicit about higher life forms inhabiting uh, the universe, um, about vimanas, which is a Sanskrit word for, for, for space vehicles. I would say the Bible has got many cases as well. We mentioned Moses. Well, when he had to return up Mount Sinai, he was apparently transported to the top of Mount Sinai in a cloud. Well, of course, you can't travel in a cloud, and so on. So this is there's a lot of overlap right across the board, and, and in my book I give quite a few examples of that, as, as you probably saw. But in terms of the Ascended Masters, I mean, they the reason that they appear in our teachings as well as theosophy is because they really do exist, and they are very, very important. Um, but your question, are they the same? They aren't the same, although I do believe there are some among them who come from other planets, certain individuals who are currently working with the Ascended Masters on this Earth, who actually come from an extraterrestrial origin. But essentially, the Ascended Masters are Earth people who have men and women from all races and backgrounds who have developed spiritually to the point where they don't require the experience cycle of earth Uh, it's too basic for their needs as it were spiritually speaking Uh, but they choose to remain here in the east they they might be referred to as bodhisattvas there is this concept there too in buddhism Um, and they really do exist so although dr king didn't primarily channel ascended masters there are examples where he did um, but and they work uh, they aren't distinct in the sense they do work closely with and know about of course beings from other worlds okay so that's that's interesting now we're gonna move to a a common question that a lot of people would have which is we all know about the conditions for life being suitable here on earth obviously and then we read about the conditions on venus mars jupiter saturn and faraway worlds uh, none of which we know enough about to make i think a conclusion about whether they're they have earth type climates but a obvious uh, observation that i think can be made here is that when you talk about beings from other planets do you mean that they exist physically, i.e. you could take a picture of them on Mars or Venus or Jupiter, or, or are they existing as some kind of different spiritual plane? The latter. Okay. The latter. I mean, it's fit, but having said that, to them it's physical. Okay. It, it is, but it isn't, you know, I mean, they aren't physically operating at the same level as us, and that Dr. King was explicit about from the very beginning of his contacts in, ni- in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, on Mars, on Venus, on Jupiter, on Saturn, they are operating, you might say, on a higher frequency, maybe. Okay. 
you could put it that way. But what they can do that we can't do, of course, or get anywhere near doing at the moment, they can travel through the frequencies. So you could say they can travel through the planets and they can travel through the planes. So this is why um, some UFOs that are sighted uh, have been seen by, I would say, thousands of people to disappear in front of their eyes, then reappear, and so on, because they can control um, the, the physical frequency they choose to manifest on. If they wish to come here physically, they could do. Okay, so now we're going to make another connection. First, this is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Richard Lawrence, a world-renowned UFO expert and spiritual teacher, and we're talking about sort of connections here between what are commonly called UFOs, extraterrestrials, and spirituality, and we're just starting here, so stay tuned. Now, one of the things that, that comes across here to me is that there, a, I see a connection between what are called near-death experiences and what you're talking about and now let me develop now let me tell you where I'm coming from in this one because I I've I, I've thought that near-death experiences have historically been a little questionable but I have gradually come to accept them as true part of it is because I've read a lot of books I've had a number of guests in this show such as PH um, Atwater and obviously, um, Eben Alexander's book, uh, world uh, bestseller on his own little, his own uh, near-death experience. But the way I view those books is that what we know as um, our own physical dimension, there may be more dimensions to consciousness, and therefore there may be other planes of existence that that you don't access until you are dead or near death. And that's sort of the way I'm interpreting your spin on extraterrestrials. Is this is this what you mean that there's that there's levels of consciousness that we don't experience here? Yes, I mean I I would say that um, I I don't know what you know as much as you obviously about near death experiences, but obviously I've come across a number of cases of this, and and they're actually quite ancient. They aren't just a new yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. Um, what happens, and I have had out-of-body experiences, I think that's one sure way you can prove to yourself whether they exist or not, is to develop the ability to actually do it. Yeah, and then you'll true. find out somebody might not believe you, true. but that doesn't really matter at all, does it, right. if you know that it's happening. Right. And then you'll find that you can actually, yes, travel through the planes. It can happen to people, and I say this with a real caution, because not not everyone will get this right I believe but it can happen in certain dream experiences where you're actually traveling to other realms but that doesn't mean you should think that every dream you have is an out-of-body experience at all um, and yes there are many levels of consciousness and as you may know I've done a little bit of channeling uh, on a much lower level than not even comparable with what Dr. King did, but with people from this earth who live on other planes of existence and used to give many psychic readings and had contacts and so forth with people who died. And they are still very much there. If you're clairvoyant, you can see them. Um, you might be able to hear them. Um, I bet you there'll be people listening who have sensed the presence in a tangible way. 
through their senses in one form or another of some departed person, uh, but they aren't living on this physical world. But to them, where they are living is physical. That's the point I would like to make. Yeah, that's that's good because I think that that's the, that's the new spin on this that really caught my attention. And mm. I think part of the problem, at least in my book, is that the media, in this country at least, tends to trivialize uh, and marginalize UFOs, just like yeah. just like they do with the paranormal uh, and mm. and all sorts of other. Um, unusual uh, happenings and I'm wondering with regard to your own perspective on UFOs and your own experience what you think about the media's treatment do you think that that's hurt mm -hmm. hurt your your mission uh, and, and how do you deal with it well it's um, I'm so used to it Philip yeah. now having, <laughs> having been you know broadcasting since at least the 80s actually even before then when I was, you know, just starting out, uh, but certainly actively since the 80s. Um, and it's improved a lot since then. Well, what I found, I don't know about America, although I have done quite a bit in America, including coast to coast and so forth, but over here, there's been quite a change in that if about sort of 10 years ago, you get a lot of radio phone-ins and different shows uh, where they would just cover this top, this sort of topic and you'd get phone-ins, and, and you'd get challenging questions and, and all the rest of it, which is fine. Um, but now the media has moved very much down the line of being politics, celebrity, sport, um, maybe health. And they don't cover, if you might say, you know, unusual interests. And there's quite a prejudice, uh, possibly more here than there, against religion generally, of all kinds. And spirituality of all kinds. So yeah. you don't, you, unless you get a specialist program, which there are a number, and I mean I write for a number of journals here and, and, and do get coverage, but it's much more of a specialist field than it used to be. On the other hand, if you go to the Discovery channels, which I'm sure you also get in America, a lot right. of them come from America, I think, every single day it's packed full of UFOs, um, aliens through history, ancient gods, all forms of spirituality, mediumship, and so on. So that it, it's very much eclectic. But has it damaged? Uh, of course, it would have been much better if the media had been open to the truth. I mean, I certainly remember the day when what we call here Fleet Street, but the old newspapers, the, the broadsheet papers I've written for one or two of them, I remember a, an editor telling me in so many words, he said, look, it's not a question of whether what you're saying is true. It's a question of whether our readers want to read about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's a commercial yeah. operation, just like anything else. And yeah. I think that definitely governs the media. I mean, they're trying to find out what's going to make them sell papers or get listeners. And it, you know, in the old days, I would be invited on a show, for example, explicitly to boost their ratings because <laughs> they knew if they had a UFO phone in, whether they believed or not, they'd get listeners. So they think that isn't the case now. It may be because there are a lot of other outlets on the Internet that people can go to for that and get more accurate information. So, I mean, I think, it, yes, the media has not done justice to this at all. They're still not doing justice to it at all. And it's great to have a program like this one. Now, for people who are on the, on the, on the skeptical side, and we, and we briefly 
Can I just, sorry, yeah. just cr- sorry, say, there are, and I should say this to be fair and to be balanced, uh, you know, if you take the Huffington Post thing that came out a couple, you know, just recently, that was very fair. Yes. So, you know, there are absolutely good people out there too who don't have an angle and aren't just trying to ridicule or debunk So as well. There, there is that element as well in the mainstream media. Yeah, and that's encouraging. As I always say, mm. there needs to be at least one person who is dedicated to the unvarnished truth because yeah. if we let if we let the media d- dictate what the truth is we're going to be going around in circles and just feuding and fighting with each other uh, it, it, or put differently we'll never make any progress because the popular story of the day has nothing to do Yes, I think you're right. I think going around in circles is a very good way of putting it because they're trying to chase what people want and the people are getting what they're given. And, you know, so it goes round and round and round. And if they just went for the unvarnished truth, they might be surprised. I think they would be surprised just how interested people are. Right, right. I forget who had said that truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, people forget that. I mean, this, this, this show and this particular show right now shows how interesting truth may be and i like to think that the that the endless do loop is should really be a spiral because you can go around a little bit but you but you should make upward progress at some point so and of course there there are so many assumptions made you know that there are lots of labels that people can come up with oh well one is cult and there are some very dodgy cults out there and it's just an easy label to cast over anything that you think is you know you don't yeah. really want uh, and another is to debunk and nutter and all all those sorts of things and in fact with the case of Dr George King you have someone who is completely genuine i mean i'm lucky i know that i knew him I saw him at close quarters for decades and worked with him and spoke to him pretty well every day for the last 20 years of his life. If I wasn't with him, we were on the phone. And he is the real thing. Now, you know, I can understand the media. If I was in the media, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that. And if I heard about him, I wouldn't cross my mind uh, that he was the real thing at yeah. first. Yeah. But what I couldn't do is rule it out. Yes. And that's where they go wrong, I think. Yeah, I think, the, I think your notion of ruling out is, is a big one. because and, I, and you say something in your book that I want to emphasize here uh, for the listener. And I think, it was, I think it was Dr. George King who said this. He said something like, either this is a true transmission or, or it's coming from me. True. And in either that, case, it's a pretty amazing thing. And I, yes. I, I want to connect that notion, though, with an historical um, fact, which is the Koran. And I mentioned it a lot on, on, a lot on this show. A lot of people All don't right. read the Koran. But, but Muhammad was channeled the Koran. And, and the reason why uh, the historical tradition states concludes that he was channeling the word of god is because muhammad could barely write and he 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 was not a poet he was he was a shepherd he was a um he he wasn't a um a trained uh, writer or a academic so so you sort of have this choice okay either this guy had an amazing inspiration that came from the depths of his soul, which of course mm. is possible, or it, w- or it really is a transmission. And nobody in in the Islamic world believes that Muhammad 
actually wrote those words. And you have exactly the same thing in my mind going on with very similar. With, with yeah, I mean, I have I have the Quran. I am no expert on it at all. I'm, yeah. It sounds though you you are. I believe it. It's claimed to be, or he said it was the angel Gabriel. I believe is that right. that's correct, isn't it? Right. The source. Right. And, and I've I've got no reason whatsoever to disbelieve that at all. It's it's very interesting that um, you know some of the greatest spiritual figures in our history were not highly educated, uh, wealthy people. I think the Lord Buddha is very exceptional in coming from a wealthy background. I mean, uh, Jesus, of course, was a carpenter's son, was a carpenter himself, I believe. Um, you know, Sri Krishna was a, a cowherd. Um, you know, in fact, sometimes, Dot King used to have a joke because he used to he he used to get uh, criticised by the media for being a ta former taxi driver, which yeah. he was yeah. during the years, or some of the years anyway, that he was practising his advanced yoga eight hours a day for ten years. Yeah. And yeah. He, the taxi driving was, wasn't his purpose for living, but it was a job, and it was fine. It's a fine job. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, they used to criticise him for it at one time, the media, which I think was one of the more pathetic angles but he used to have a little joke because he had an encounter with Jesus as you, you may know on a, a mountain here called Holston Down and he used to say um, taxi driver meets carpenter on hill you know, as his headline <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's good you know? well um, it just goes to show you what an amazing world there is out there when you do open your open yourself to these possibilities now I was going to ask you, obviously, there's a lot of people who doubt this whole thing. And sure. in other words, particularly the notion, I mean, I think you, you say that um, some of the, if not all of the uh, great spiritual leaders, teachers, such as Jesus, Moha uh, uh, Buddha, were came from different planets. Yeah, we don't say Muhammad, actually, okay, but certainly some of them, yes, okay. uh, some of the major ones we do say. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so and that isn't to, to denigrate those that we don't name at all, right. uh, because in our teachings, if you're a Mohammedan, you know, be a good one. If you're a Christian, be a good one. If you're a Buddhist, be a good one. That's the general philosophy. So, what what led you to this conclusion? For uh, that, go ahead. Well, it's Dr. King, of course, uh, who yeah, okay. is the source of this. And what led him to it was the fact that he was contacted in 1954 by an intelligence called the Master Aetherius, that's A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. We are called the Aetherius Society. We have a, we have a website, aetherius.org. And then he received a whole series of transmissions, communications, uh, which elaborated on a cosmic plan which had been with us for millions, actually, of years, um, in which great beings or avatars or gods have come to Earth, and some of the great spiritual figures in our history are indeed from other planets. Um, Sri Krishna is one, Lord Buddha is another, Laozi, Confucius, Sankracharya, Sri Patanjali, Hercules... Um, so that when, for example, I start the book that you referred to, UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message, with the story of the Star of Bethlehem. This was no star, of course, and star can't hover over a stable. This was a craft bringing to Earth a great being from another planet. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, think, I thought that was a fascinating way to start the book. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm speaking with Richard Lawrence, a noted authority on UFOs and 
spirituality and I'd like to move here to the connection of spirituality because I as I said earlier I think this is where um, there's there's ground being broken because you know in many ways we have a Star Trek society uh, we have a a society that is just um, sort of fascinated by science fiction exploring uh, the unknown, the uncharted territory, but it tends to have more of a mechanical spin to it. Uh, to me, it's it's as if it's as if we're going to um, travel to the outer galaxies and find a a tree that's going to have the cure for cancer. I mean, or or find a spaceship that is faster than any other spaceship, but. It's your message and from Dr. King, Dr. George King, is not, is not so much that we're finding, finding sort of advanced technologies that are going to save the world, but that there's a spiritual message here, right? Abs- absolutely. So, so I mean, I'd like yeah. to have you talk yeah. about, about that spiritual message, because I think that's the power that I'm getting from, from your writing here. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? I'd love to. Uh, the beings from other planets, I mean, we are believers that Mars, Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, all these planets are inhabited, as indeed are planets beyond this solar system, uh, at a higher spiritual level than ourselves, that these are beings who would regard us uh, as, frankly, uh, I'm sure they'd be, they haven't used this word, but um, they would call it, possibly use the word ignorant <laughs> in a compassionate way, but... Um, you know, I would say insane. I mean, any planet that has wars and, and devastating wars that we have is a planet that is sick, a race, not the planet, but the people on it who are sick. Any any race of people who have, um, I think the latest figures were something like 1% of the world own more than 99% of the wealth. Uh, and you have the kind of poverty that exists on this world and it, co- and it continues, right. is, is insanity, is depravity. Uh, we are an extremely backward planet. So when you hear experts saying, I wonder if we can find a race as advanced as we are out there, I have to laugh. Yeah. It's, it's pathetic. Yeah. Of course, they're going to be more, they couldn't, you know, the mate, I'm sure there are some that are even worse than us. And if they are more technologically advanced, that would be quite dangerous for us. We're extremely fortunate that the beings in this solar system are not only technologically advanced, but highly spiritual, very compassionate of beings like Jesus, a great figure of love, uh, beings like Buddha with his wisdom and his inner peace, and Sri Krishna and so on. Personally, I would add to that list Dr. George King. He didn't add himself to that list, but I certainly would. I think he's a, 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 one of the great avatars of our time. But uh, I think as, the co- as things get revealed through future generations, that will be more understood. At the moment, it's extremely controversial. So the, the message, the spiritual message to us is to put our own house in order spiritually. And if we do that, then everything else will follow such a space travel. Uh, To go out and seek material uh, advancement through space travel is missing the point. 
materialism doesn't work. It's been proved to fail uh, on this earth, never mind trying to extend it into space. But spirituality really does work. So the key is to get as much spiritual energy into our world as possible. And they'll help us to do that, and they do help us to do that. What they won't do, though, is intervene. They won't imperialize the world, even in a beneficial way, a benign way. They won't rob us of our free will. And this is why they don't, say, land yet anyway, openly to prove themselves to every disbeliever and every hostile element, of which there would be uh, quite a lot in governments and so on, um, they, uh, they know our psychology, they understand it better than we understand ourselves, and they know something else too, which was called in the East karma, and they understand the need to get that right. Uh, if we get that right, and we get enough spiritual energy into the world, then all our problems, including our material ones, will be solved. Yeah, I think that was well put, Richard. And I think there's a lot there uh, that you, in what you just said. And I want to emphasize two things here that bring some of this together, um, in my mind, at least. And that yeah. is, uh, we know, using Jesus Christ as an example, and and for those wondering, no, I'm not a practicing Christian. Uh, I was raised Catholic, but um, I do think there's truth in our religions, as folks probably know. But moving to Jesus Christ, okay, here you have somebody, and we, and I, and I don't care, frankly, what world we say he came from, and I don't care whether it was virgin birth, and I don't, I don't care whether he rose from the dead or did not rise from the dead. And, but one thing we do know, for a fact is that he gave a message of brotherhood and it's up to the people to put that into motion so if we have a spaceship land with with people from another from other world to say practice brotherhood it's up to us to do it just saying it isn't going to make it happen and i think that now i connect that point with with something else in your book that i completely agree with and that is that this ascension is really um, correlated with a rise in consciousness. Uh, that it's the rising of our consciousness through revelation, reading, experience, meditation, whatever, running in the park, uh, that ultimately has to happen. So, so to quote Bonnie Rayet, um, you can't, or to paraphrase her, you can't make somebody be enlightened. It's got to, no. it's got to grow out of themselves. So, so I, I wanted to put that together because I thought that was, that to me was what I took away here is that the, the spiritual message you're talking about are the same messages that we have been hearing throughout spiritual history. It, it, they are. I mean, where, where the Ethereum Society has, I would say, the edge, you know, why I'm in the Ethereum Society rather than anywhere else, is because we have a set of teachings which is, t is tailor-made for the times that we are in now and the future. And this includes a cosmic concept which is lacking 
really yeah. in I would say the other religions and that's not to decry them maybe it, it wasn't the time and it wasn't needed maybe but it I think it it is now and we're here we can give it um, and we do give it I mean for example the master Jesus you mentioned or Jesus Christ if you like he has delivered a set of teachings called the 12 blessings we have a, actually a website which is 12blessings.org uh, that's one to blessings.org, which is all about that set of teachings and how you can practice that set of teachings as well. And it goes even further than, say, the Sermon on the Mount, which isn't in any way to, to, to decry the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's, I, I do wonder how accurate the Sermon on the Mount is, though, sometimes. But this teaching goes even further. It goes to a cosmic level. Um, and it, it goes to, for they who work for peace, um, they who... Uh, love, uh, they, but it goes beyond that, and it goes for the Mother Earth, uh, the Sun, the galaxy, and so on. It's in a very extensive teaching. I mean, you mentioned the Catholic religion, and I understand that the Vatican is looking at space, and they and they're working on this. And they, they, I think a statement was even made that um, the Pope would baptize aliens if he was asked to by one, one uh, senior person in the church. I don't think aliens will be queuing up, to, with all due respect to the Pope, <laughs> for that baptism. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so either. But, however, it does show, credit where it's due, they're trying to look at this. But where, where we, we in the Ethereum Society are very fortunate is we have a set of cosmic teachings, including from Jesus and other great beings, which is absolutely tailor-made for the times we're in, and we're able, even now, even though Dr. King physically passed on in 1997, we are able to directly cooperate with them in sending out spiritual energy to the world. Yeah, I, I like your, uh, I wrote this down as one of the quotes from your book uh, that goes along with what you're saying. The quote is, spirituality needs a cosmic dimension and the science of the cosmos needs a sp spiritual dimension as is becoming yes. increasingly apparent. And I thought that was that was good because, you know, we tend to at least get um, lost in thinking that only the planet Earth exists, and this is where life is, and I'm mm. probably one of those people. On the other hand, on the open-minded side of things, there is an incredibly vast universe out there, just like there's a deep ocean and you never know what might be out there and so really I think what you're saying what Dr. King is saying is that take a global I mean I'm sorry a universal perspective on this on on spirituality yes. don't don't be limited is that absolutely right I I would suggest that all religious leaders will have to start looking now that uh, there's been such a change and an awareness of planets I mean I, I do remember and they'll have to factor this in, as, as it looks like the Vatican may be trying to do. I mean, I, I well remember going on shows in the 80s with astronomers, uh, and top astronomers over here in the UK, who would actually say, there is no life out there at all, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, I, then later, I went on with a man who's called over here the Astronomer Royal, a man called Martin Rees, Lord Martin Rees, and he said, we've got to open our minds to life on... Uh, planets like Mars, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn. That was in the 90s. So, you know, there has been, oh, probably actually less, than, uh, more recently than that. 
that's quite a shift in science. Now they've gone even further than that, and they know there's inhabited, there's not inhabited, but they know there are planets capable of life as we physically know it throughout the universe. And there are even people who think there are there's at least one planet possibly in this solar system way out somewhere but in this solar system that could sustain life as we know it never mind life as we don't know it yeah. and then you have theoretical physicists coming up and meeting with these concepts which turn them towards spirituality there are some cases of scientists who've felt the need to turn to spirituality because when you're dealing with things like uh, invisible matter and you discover there is more invisible matter than visible matter, you are really moving into the realms of metaphysics and mysticism. Yeah, I love yeah. whether you wish to or not. Yeah, I love dark. I think dark matter is is one of my favorite yeah. topics. And I and I think what's what's so interesting here, from a broad perspective, is that for those who are looking at this, there is this slowly moving convergence here between science and spirituality on all fronts and I'd like to highlight another one here where if you read books about the origin of life and there's a lot of books with that title and you read them and they don't really tell you what the origin of life is but it's a it's a fast it's a it's a fancy uh, eye-grabbing title but more and more of the biologists and the scientists are looking at the possibility that indeed our particular uh, chemical structure, biological structure, isn't isn't perhaps the only necessary structure for life. You know, we tend to be so provincial that mm. that only only the biology of of the uh, living folks, living creatures on Earth, are the ones that could possibly live. And what's, what's interesting about this is that the scientists need there to be alternate biological systems because the, the, um, the, the conditions on Earth were so severe back in history and they and and they need to have something that could live under extreme conditions, whether extreme heat, cold, uh, uh, air, uh, chemicals, whatever. And it's very it's starting to get closer to what you're talking about, which is uh, yeah. which is there might be forms of life that we haven't dreamt of out there. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. I'm very happy to be speaking with. Richard Lawrence, and we're going beyond uh, science and religion here. We're talking about UFOs and the spiritual experience. And Richard, uh, I was just talking about the um, alternate forms of life that may exist elsewhere. And uh, what what is your spin on that? Yes, well, I, it's an interesting thing which uh, I, I came across while researching for the book um, that you mentioned, and that is that the, uh, and I'm not a scientist, let me say straight away, I'm not having any pretensions to be one, but the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, if we imagine that, and that includes obviously you know, gamma rays, x-rays, ultraviolet radiation and so forth, everything, microwaves, radio waves, the lot. If we imagine that as being a reel of film 2,500 miles long, the portion that most people can see, unless you're highly sensitive, is approximately two inches 
hmm. out of the 2,500 miles, we only can physically see an absolute tiny fraction of the electromagnetic spectrum. And there are scientists, I understand, looking into what's going on, what could exist in that enormous spectrum that we can't see. That's just one factor. Yeah. Uh, what I find with science from my limited knowledge of it, and I will say, I want to admit that openly, it's a very limited knowledge that I have of science, uh, is that they have their theories that they've come up with and everything has to fit into it until the theories don't work and then they have to invent something. So they needed to invent uh, dark matter, right. uh, you know, because of the uh, gravitational forces weren't strong enough uh, in the universe, they found, or in the galaxy, and so they come with dark matter. Then they have the expanding universe, and that isn't explained by dark matter or mass, so they come up with dark energy. Right. And then they end up, I understand, with 96% of the universe being composed of these two things, which they can't identify at all. Uh, I mean, I think some of the psychic researchers in the sort of 1930s in the, over here, for example, or in the earlier period of the 20th century, wouldn't have claimed such a far-fetched to yeah. them idea that 96% is invisible. Yeah, um, think, yeah. You know, and so, the, you know, what I would say is there are some very open-minded people, I understand, working in that field who do get derided by a lot of their colleagues for doing so, who are willing to admit to these things and face up to these things but then again we have to remember was it 400 years ago i think or more that galileo you know was uh, absolutely uh, an outcast you know and had to uh, sort of recant yeah. on on the fact that you know we are in fact not the center of the universe that's what that was the general belief across not just christianity you know right across uh, aristotelian philosophy and so on that the whole universe revolves around us now okay we've accepted we don't uh, 30 years ago astronomers were saying there's nobody out there at all now astronomers are saying there's definitely inhabitable planets they might be a long way away we haven't yet identified but the likelihood is i think they're saying now is that there will be life as we know it somewhere possibly quite a lot of places as yeah. we know it as we physically and then it'll move on to the spiritual life the so-called invisible realms of matter and well what can exist there yeah i think it's it's it is really exciting and one of the, again and i'm i'm trying to highlight some things here that are common to science and and other fields and i thought it was fascinating the way you described the Let's, let's let's call them aliens or extraterrestrials uh, as as being more advanced, but they're more advanced in psychic powers, in telepathy, in in this astral travel, and all these all these all these things that we're that we associate with the outlying you know with outliers right now. Which so the the spiritual development outside uh, of the earth and the other realms is not a better robot this is where i'm going with this it's not a yeah. better robot but a spiritual development and i'd like to have maybe you could just talk about that because i thought that was a great message yes i think one thing that really marks dr king out 
is that from a very early age, and I mean 10, 11, and then through his teens, he was having spiritual experiences. But and he was a conscientious objector in the in the Second World War, which was a very unpopular thing to be yeah. over here. Yeah. But after it he completely turned to the sorts of things you were talking about and he did it for eight hours a day um, on top of a job and that I mean I haven't uh, Philip encountered anybody ever or heard of anybody ever who even claims to have done that for 10 years as a young man or a young woman on top of a job uh, in the East yes people would go into ashrams or, or go into the caves and so forth but he was living in London he was working in London and then he was doing these practices and he was having the sorts of experiences you've mentioned uh, what are known as kundalini experiences he was doing uh, mediumship, not the kind of mediumship he later did, but more basic mediumship, uh, healing experiences. He was having out-of-body experiences. He was having levitation experiences, which were witnessed. Uh, he was having these, all this going on, and he managed to remain uh, balanced and sensible and yeah. sane. And, and he, uh, that is a feat in itself. He was an extremely level-headed, balanced person with a great sense of humor, yeah. highly intelligent and practical person. Yeah. Um, despite having these extraordinary feats and abilities, which is one of, I think, one of the telltale signs of uh, his, to me anyway, his interplanetary origins. Although, as I say, he didn't used to go around claiming that at all. Uh, but what he also used to say was that everybody can uh, gain these abilities. I remember him saying to me on one occasion, there's nothing I've done that you couldn't do, uh, which I personally find hard to believe, but he said it, and he he really did believe everyone had that unlimited potential. And I was honored, as you mentioned earlier, I think, to co-author his last book, actually, Realize Your Inner Potential, which is got exercises and practices, some of them drawn from ancient yoga tradition, some of them channeled through him by cosmic intelligences, particularly the master Ethereus. But those practices are really effective. They really work and you get real results. And you don't really have to base your then your spirituality on faith. You can base it on what you experience and discover for yourself. Yeah. And again, I think one of the takeaways here that I started the show off with is that rather than just dismiss some of this out of hand, you know, put a label on it, you know, call it bizarre UFO story and and put it in the dustbin. It's 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 not only um, how can I put this um, inspiring to open your mind to this stuff, but you also may find that there's more to the world than meets the eye and I think that that's one thing that I learned from from reading your book because again as I said in the beginning I've always been a little um, skeptical on this and I'm gonna get to that in a, in a second but one of the points I wanna underscore here again is that there's a very a very um, popular book out there that uh, it's called the singularity is near and by Ray Kurzweil and he's written a couple books like this and there's and there's others that go down this path, but one of their one of their uh, themes is that the evolution of, of uh, humankind is essentially going to merge with a computer, and, and we're going to be walking around um, part part computer, part human. And of course, I don't buy into that. 
I I think that I mean when you think about it, who's going to be able to afford merging with a computer? But if we take the other tangent and look at it, we're, we're not merging with the machine; we're merging with spirit. True. Then anybody could merge with spirit, and I think that that's the great dichotomy in our world right now, Richard. And this is just this is just my own opinion: is that is that we need to and we need to move away from the me first. You know, I'm going to have a faster car, a bigger house, a faster cell phone, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and and see that there is more power in the in the unity of spirit. And that's another yeah. thing that I got out of your book that, that also resonated with my own views. So. Very true. And and the, the absolute core message of the cosmic masters, and by the way, there, there is a transmission which they gave, the Master Theorists and Mars Sector 6, called Ye Are Gods, telling us we have God potential. You know, yeah. we might regard them as gods, but you know we can all do this and it's extremely encouraging and hopeful but the core message that they give is a message of service Uh, spiritual service being the most potent not the only because you obviously we need charity we need care we need help uh, of all kinds but spiritual service in these days for those who are willing and ready and, and open to doing it is the most effective of all and this is what we are really encouraged to do. Um, and that is a true expression of what I would call singularity or oneness, if you like. Because, you know, I remember somebody going up to Dr. King, a, 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 not a master of yoga, but someone who was uh, some kind of a guru anyway and, and dressed in robes and so forth and approached him and said, you know, said to Dr. King, no, I've been to the Godhead. Hmm. And Dr. King said, well, then if you've been to the Godhead, then you know that what really counts is service to others. And I've never forgotten that because you can get an emphasis on just dwelling in one's own bliss and one, you know, going within for one's own benefit. Um, And yet the point he was making to this guru was that really what you realize in the highest, highest states of consciousness is the oneness of all things. And if you realize that, then you've got to do something to help all things. Yeah. So, so what is the, what is the takeaway message here from your standpoint? And and I want to introduce uh, some background to that question because, and I've been doing a lot of this on this show, but I think it's it's a good thing to to for me to try to sh- uh, show connections. There's there's an argument in um, Richard Dawkins' book uh, Ancestors' Tale. Where and it's not just in that book, but it's elsewhere. And he says, uh, I, I actually, actually, it could be in the God Delusion, where he says that um, that to say that God created everything doesn't answer the question, uh, how is God possible? And similarly, there's there's folks that say that, uh, believe it or not, that the origin of life came from. Or, or life on this planet, we were seeded from other planets, and that this is one of the five top theories of science. And it, you know, there is some there is some um, 
evidence for that, but it doesn't answer the question of how did life begin on other planets, and it doesn't answer the question, it, just like it doesn't answer the question Richard Dawkins raised, which is that if God did everything, then how is God possible? So, so at the end of the day, Richard, if this is true, then we still have that mystery of, of where, where, where this, this source came from. I mean, to say it came from other planets yeah. doesn't really answer the question, well, how did it appear on those planets? And that's something yeah. that I've always, at the end of the day, that I sort of run up against that. Indeed, and I'm happy to sort of have a stab at it, but did Richard Dawkins then take it from that? That the religions weren't true because they couldn't answer that question. Most, yeah, ba basically. Which is yes, an illogical. Basic. Right, uh, right. I thought he might have done. Right. That's an illogical thing. Just right. because uh, a religion, it, and let's take another one, not the atheist, so let's take, you know, Christianity or Buddhism, whatever he was talking about, just because they can't answer one of his questions doesn't mean they aren't true about the other things. Right. And that's, you see, that's, I find some of these sort of high intellectual uh, doubters and skeptics can be fundamentally illogical on some points yes oh, and, yeah. I, and I think this point that you you're asking which is an extremely deep one I would suggest the only way that we could really comprehend the answer to that would be through deep meditation right um, and I cause I don't think it's something it, it's if you like it's beyond our spiritual pay grade you know to, <laughs> yeah. to understand That's through the intellect alone yeah yeah um, well. Yeah. But clearly, I mean, the belief, uh, not only of the Aetherius Society, but of certain Eastern traditions, is that God uh, came from, God existed, uh, you know, um, where God came from, I think is an almost meaningless question until you're capable of uh, some higher level of consciousness. But that God existed in some potential form and then chose to involve itself in matter so you had, if you like, perfect potential, and then you had uh, God, uh, and in the Hindu faith, uh, originally anyway, the ancient yogic Hindu tradition, they called it the out-breathing. Um, yeah. And through this, uh, something not million miles actually from the Big Bang, in a way, came, it involved itself in matter for the purpose of gaining experience and mastering experience. And so that it would then return eventually, it will eventually return back to its source, but with the experience yeah. cycle yeah. Of, yeah. of complete, you know. But as to where that all came from in the beginning, I don't think one could know in, in a brain. Yeah. And I well, don't think that in the fact that one couldn't know it in, a, in, a, in a, if you like, an earth brain doesn't in any way undervalue religion. Well, it also doesn't rule. It also doesn't rule it out, and that that's Boring. that no. that's sort of the the main point there. And I I've addressed that issue uh, in my own book, and I I'm interviewed myself uh, the you know the big question, right. and it's actually in the in the um, in the Rig Veda, one of the earliest Hindu texts. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a line that's it, it's it says something like it, it goes something like this, which I'm partially going to butcher it. It's 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 something like, um, you know, where did it all begin? Uh, only the great one knows. Uh, but then again, maybe he doesn't. And, <laughs> and, and so it's so there's so point being there's humility even at the source of everything. Yes. And I and so I don't think the question is is, is answerable either. I think Aristotle was right. When he talked about the unmoved mover, 
And I right. think that, frankly, it's a, sor it's a source of spirituality. Now, we've come to the end here, and of course, we didn't cover all the all the ground that there is, because there's a lot of ground here, because we, we have all sorts of distant places to explore. But, um, Richard, I really appreciate, you know, your being with us and dealing with some of my my elliptical questions. Um, it's been a pleasure. For for those who don't know about you, can you just kindly tell the listener um, how they could um, learn more about what you're doing? Thank you. Yes. Well, please do visit my website, which is www.richardlawrence, as one word, that's L-A-W, richardlawrence.co.uk. And if there's anything there that interests you, and I certainly hope there is, in fact, this, this uh, podcast should be up there in due course. Yes. Um, but please do contact me. Uh, please do get in touch with any questions you have. I mentioned also the Ethereum Society website, which is Ethereus, that's A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S dot org. Um, I would just like to conclude, Philip, if I may, by sure. saying that I'm extremely open-minded. I study many teachings um, uh, with great respect. Um, I'm fascinated by, for example, the aphorisms of Patanjali, the Tao Te Ching, many other sources, the Vedas, which you mentioned, and so on. But for me, nothing has come close to a book I came across once called The Nine Freedoms, which was channeled uh, through Dr. George King, and which I still study avidly to this day, uh, and other of the great teachings delivered through the Ethereus Society. Well, thank you very much for that. And uh, just in closing, again, we, we started with open-mindedness, and we're ending with open-mindedness. And it's amazing what a big fascinating, rich world there is when you open your mind to other possibilities. We do have a incredibly expansive universe out there. And at some point, we may learn that our inner space is coextensive with the outer space. This is Philip Camello. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. Been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.